All right. Welcome, John Olofsson, to the Digital Dudes podcast. John, why don't you go ahead and uh, give a little bit of your background and introduce yourself? Well, thank you, David and Reed. Uh, John Olofsson, I'm a partner in the, the Denver office of Lewis Brisboy, uh, which is a large national firm of about 1,600 lawyers in 53 cities across the country. Um, I'm active in my community. I'm really involved with the Opera Colorado, sitting on the board of directors, the Nathan Yip Foundation, where I serve as the president of the board of directors. We raise money for um, education, educational needs in rural Colorado. Uh, I'm also on the executive council of the Colorado Bar Association, where I chair the Racial Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusivity Task Force. Um, so I'm really involved in the community. Uh, I, my my grandmother used to say that two things you can do is give back to your profession and give back to your community, and I believe her, uh, and I find a lot of personal joy into that. And it's really good to see you too and, and to be involved in this. So thank you for inviting me. It's a huge honor. Yeah. Well, John, thank you for being here. We'll get into a little bit how we know each other, but the that honor was a, is all ours. That, That's what you're supposed to say. The honor is oh, all, honor. all honor. ours. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm honored. I don't know if we've so. ever had somebody I'm, say it's an honor to be on our podcast, but I, I, I am more I'm humble, distracted because I've been holding on to like the beta fish that's up on his wall. Have you, did you notice that? He's oh, got a, no. I, I, I'm not the first person to ask about this, I'm sure, but no. how do you, how do you handle that? Yeah. So I'm going to tell you a fish hanging like five feet off the wall, off the ground. So it's, it's kind of neat. I got it. I don't know, 20 years ago in Dallas, Texas, when I lived in Dallas and this fish I've had now for just over a year, uh, my partner and I had gone to Mexico. And when I came back, I'm like, I want to get a new beta, put up the beta bowl. Um, this fish's name is actually ceviche, which is a little dark. Um, but it yeah, reminds me of my trip to Mexico because we ate a lot of ceviche. Wow. But but ceviche typically is not made out of beta fish. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you're safe there, John. <laughs> All right. Well, if I it was that... the tilapia that you had up there, then I might really question your your sense of humor. Yeah. Well, John, uh, you had such a you have such a background. It sounds like you're like a very official person. So I had to get some color in there. Uh, so thank you for introducing <laughs> us to ceviche. Uh, but Reed, we have a I'll, I'll say a long. Can we also say storied history with John? Yeah. I mean, the story got cut a little short for my taste, but... <laughs> well, go for it. Yeah, well, uh, we were introduced to John when he was at Pulsinelli, another large firm. Um, and I don't know, uh, where's where's Pulsinelli? Head Are they headquartered here, John? No, they're headquartered out of Kansas City. Oh, okay. That wouldn't have been my top guess, but um, that was when we were just founding Digibol. So uh, a lot of people do know this um, about Digibol story, but we had all met each other, Dave and myself, Nicole, at, at the Denver Post, and we're working on really the digital side, aka Ad Taxi. So sharing all that. Um, and when we decided to go ahead and, and start Digibol, we got entangled in a lawsuit with our, our former employer and sought counsel and was referred to um, some folks there at Pulsinelli and John was on the team. And yeah, we bonded very quickly with John, super impressed with, uh, you know, I guess kind of the strategy and approach that he, he was wanting to take with us. And unfortunately it didn't work out because he ended up in the, in the process of all that moving to, you know, the firm he's at now. Well, I'm sure we get credit for that because they saw the work he was doing on our case. Right. And 
I should have <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was all because of us, John. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, there was a conflict there, so we weren't able to continue working with him. But we've followed each other uh, since then. Um, it's you know been pretty rocket ship type growth for for both sides. John's just blown up in a good way as far as all the things he's doing in the community, the the, the promotion that you just got, um, which I know you probably don't want to brag about, but um, kind of second in command there at the firm. And then obviously Digital's doing really well too. So super excited to see you again, have you on the show and um, both be sharing in each other's success. Agreed. I love watching uh, the growth of your company and the work you're doing. It's been very impressive. And to be honest, I feel really proud because I was there at the very beginning that I felt nothing but pride watching everything that you've done and the growth you've had, the, even the, the bringing on the staff. You're very intentional about your hiring and your growth. It's just been really amazing to watch. Yeah, you met us at our worst, and it didn't scare you off. So now, you know, we're in a little bit of a better place. And uh, just to give you credit, Nicole did say, what, did, what was her exact quote this morning when we said John was going to She was like, John was my, like, my number one, uh, talked me off the ledge a number of times. Yeah, basically said you kept her from the straitjacket this morning in our, our roundup. So she said if it weren't for you, she didn't know how she, she would have made it through it. I really liked working with her, and she was such a great witness. Um, you know, she just is so matter-of-fact and really – had a steel trap memory. Um, she was really great to work with. Yeah. Well, she's still great to work with John. So maybe again, one day. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get, let's get into uh, some topics that, uh, that you, we brought you on as an expert of. So let's start with, uh, you're telling us a little bit ahead, ahead of the, uh, recording, um, what we call a hot take, but you were, I think you were just saying you're a little bit counter counter to, I don't know, conventional, wisdom or something definition of definition yeah diversity yeah, when it comes to diversity so take it away yeah so there's a lot of different ways to look at diversity there's no one solid way here's what it means to be diverse in your workforce or or diverse in your in whatever you do right in your communities uh, so a lot of people say diverse means just looking at the people from marginalized communities and then everybody else is part of the dominant culture right? So there's the diverses and the dominant culture. So um, you've got your, you know, your people of color, you've got LGBTQ, disabled, those are your diverses. And then straight white guys, God bless y'all, but straight white guys are the kind of the non-diverse. Are you pointing at me? Yeah. <laughs> I saw multiple fingers go up. He, yeah. he hit it's, us with a scatter gun full hand. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt your flow. <laughs> so that, that's one way of looking at it. I tend to look at it a little bit differently. I tend to look at it meaning that everyone is diverse. So there's different aspects of your identity that makes you different than the person sitting next to you and the person sitting next to you. We're all part of the same conversation. We're all part of it. We all have different aspects of our identity um, that make us different. And why, why, why set that aside? Why dismiss that? Why, why not bring that into the conversation? But where I, where I really come down is we all may be diverse, but we're not all marginalized. So there is a, an, an acknowledgement, if you will, that there are certain people that because of who they are, something that they can't change, right? Whether it be your LGBTQ status, the color of your skin, your ethnicity, your race, whatever it may be, has subjected you to different kinds of institutional and systemic barriers, whether they be laws or whatever. And they can be really big, right? Big discriminatory laws, voting rights, issues that can be huge big things or they can be small and my example for that is blood drives so you would never think anything about a blood drive right 
nothing. They're good. They're good, right? We want to do them. But for people in your office who are LGBTQ, they can be really difficult because there's a systemic and institutional barrier that says, I can't give blood unless mm. I'm celibate. So mm. what's that? I mean, it's not <laughs> having sex. Oh, he said yeah. celibate. Celibate. Said celibate. Okay. No, celibate. So that's the only way. <laughs> I know celibate. I got you. All right, let's continue. That's something else that David doesn't know what celibate means. Um, (laughs) That's a whole different story. Um, But that can be triggering, right? So when you go to someone's office who may be out, may not be out and say, hey, we have a blood drive. You got to go. You got to go. That you're then putting that person on the spot because of an institutional rule saying that, you know, I now have to disclose my personal life to you. I now can't do this and be part of the team because of this. That's just a small way, right? Like one thing you'd never think of. So while everyone may be diverse, not everyone is marginalized. And so that's where I kind of draw the line. But the the reason I like this approach and it's been really successful for me is that it brings everyone in the conversation. We're all at the same table. We all want to be having the same conversation. We all want to be part of the solution to this marginalization. So if you exclude people right off the bat from the conversation, I don't think you're really being inclusive. I don't think you're bringing all the voices together. And most importantly, I don't think you're building the allies you need to be successful. The marginalization is a super interesting, I don't want to call it angle in some way, marginalize it, wink, wink. Um, But um, how does that, how do you introduce that or do you have you in, in case, in cases, like, is that the same, the same kind of take that you're, you're providing here? Uh, Is that how you talk about it when you're when you're litigating or or trying a case absolutely i mean and, and really so how- the, it goes to all, at all aspects right like there's that acknowledgement at all stages of what you're doing um and the other thing that's really key is no matter who you're working with whether it's in legal whether it's in your industry or whatever industry having the awareness of that marginalization is really critical right so you can see because everyone has a different lens they see the world, right? They put lenses on to see the world. We all have them and they're all different. But when you come from a marginalized community, some of that marginalization and that systemic problem is the lens by which you see the world. So when you're working with people to have that understanding, to say, you know what? They may be seeing the world in a different way because of what they've been through. That may not be my shared experience. It may not be my lived experience, but that's theirs. And so it helps you understand from, in my line of work, your witnesses, jurors, opposing counsel, judges, right? Judges have lenses. They all have lenses. And so understanding what that potential marginalized status is and how it might impact that lens is really a leg up, right, into who that person is. And is one of the counters, I'll say, to the approach of marginalization Uh, would it be that doesn't necessarily equal discrimination? And so I don't know if you can help speak to that or or define or delineate between marginalization and discrimination. Because I could see, you know, again, counterpoint, yes, people may feel or seem to be marginalized, but if they're not actually being discriminated against, then there is no violation of the law here. So there is a difference there. Discrimination is usually what we have codified, right? So um, 
and I'll bring it back to LGBTQ, right? You can't discriminate someone because of their sexual orientation. You can't not hire them. You can't or fire them. Let's do that because that's better, more clear cut. You can't fire them if they raise a complaint for some sort of a, an issue, for instance, in the workplace. You can't retaliate against them, right? That's discrimination. Um, not everything that hurts your feelings is a discrimination, right? Discrimination is something based in your statute and and something based there. Now we can be discriminatory in our actions outside of the law, but as a legal term of art. It's about something that's in the statute. Marginalization right. is much deeper, right? That can be societal. That can be how you treat a person. That can be a blood drive, right? Something that reminds someone of their status is marginalizing. Something that you do, we've all heard of microaggressions. And I and let's be frank, they're not microaggressions because they really suck. They're just aggressions, um, yeah. right? That's marginalizing to be hit in the head with that. So like... For instance, when I hear um, someone say things like, oh, John, that's so gay. It's like, come on, right? That's a, a microaggression, but that's a big slap to the face. Um, that's totally. marginalizing. That reminds me that I'm different. That reminds me that um, I am treated differently from, from the dominant culture. Um, so, yeah, there is a bit of a difference, but there's a lot of overlap as well, too. And frankly, if we're thinking more in terms of marginalization and not discrimination, we're going to move ahead farther. Because we're taking in the broader life experience of people and not just taking in, oh, this is just what the law says. So this is exactly what I'm going to do. Um, because even that can be marginalizing. Yeah. Well, one more I want to squeeze in here and I'll turn it back over to David. But um, is there case law building up on on around this specific I guess, approach or term of marginalization? Was there any kind of landmark case or is it like this is more just about volume, like more and more we're attacking it this way and, and finding su su success and, and helping, you know, to move things forward? So there's a, I mean, we could talk about discrimination all day long, right? In terms of case law and Supreme Court case law, um, you know, we could talk about that all day long, but marginalization is more of, and this, this, recognition of the fact that people have been marginalized is a not a trend. I hate to use that because it's been around for a long time, right? We've been talking about this a long time. It's just getting the light of day in a more grand way in the last couple of years, really since George Floyd's murder, which sparked the Me Too. Uh, the Me Too movement really started to spark that conversation. Um, we're really getting that conversation rolling. And actually, in the first time in my life, I'm seeing it take root. Um, of course, as it takes root, there's attacks. There's new attacks all the time, right? In fact, just this weekend at a Pride event in Idaho, a militia group um, was found that was getting ready to go attack this Pride movement. Um, they were found in the back of a U-Haul van with SWAT gear. Um, they were all mm -hmm. promptly arrested right. under conspiracy to, to riot. Um, but even as these things take root, we're finding a vicious attack coming in its wake. And, you know, of course, it, I hate to say it, it's not unexpected. It's just really disappointing. Yeah. Well, that's uh, one. I feel like we don't hear enough about the, the things that get stopped versus the things that don't get stopped. Right. Because I feel like particularly with like gun control and all that stuff that's happening you hear about the ones that an attack is foiled yeah yeah gets, yeah and i feel like uh, one I want, tenth of the press of yeah one yeah it, maybe even less than yeah. that i mean i feel like i want to know more about mm -hmm. the ones that actually make it it make me feel i don't know safer more mm -hmm. secure but um i just want to make sure i have this right john because i feel like i'm um 
learning a different perspective. Uh, you know, I like how you're how you're positioning it. So marginalization is if someone is, uh, in a way, reminding you that you are, I guess, different than the mass. Is that how you're phrasing it? Or how are you phrasing it? Reminding you that you're just a different group. Yep, and it's it's, it's usually comes from the dominant culture, right? The okay. I, we used to say majority culture, but it's it's not going to be the majority culture for much longer. You know, I mean, it's white people in our country, straight white people are not going to be the majority culture for much longer. And so now I've switched right. over to the term of dominant culture. What's that dominant culture? And what has the dominant culture done in terms of passing laws and ordinances, even societal norms that take people and say, you are different? Right. Yeah. You are. That's the marginalization. That's systemic and institutional marginalization. Right. We we there's the, the big ones. Right. Like the, the don't say gay bills. Right. That's marginalizing. Right. You're saying we can't talk about your family in schools because that's wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. All those things are are marginalization. And there's communities, black people, Native American, American Indians, indigenous people, um, Hispanics, Latin Americans women, LGBTQ, um, these are Asian, Asian Americans, right? These are communities that have suffered marginalization at the hand of the dominant culture for our entire, well, more than our history, right? The first mm -hmm. slave ship was 1619. That's way before mm -hmm. we even had our, who we are today, right? That's a century and a half before who we are today. So these things are, this marginalization is just weaved into our fabric in such an elaborate way that sometimes it's hard to figure out how much, how deep do we go? How far do we have to untangle? Uh, so that's where yeah. that marginalization and discrimination comes from. And I'd say a lot of it may be unintentional uh, along the way. And uh, where I was going to get is like, I like this idea of like, it could make someone feel uh, as if, or just remind them that they're not part of the dominant culture. But what about those things? Does it still qualify as marginal if it's sort of behind the scenes and it's not, and they don't know about it or, um, there's no law against it yet. So you still consider that marginal or is that different? No, absolutely. Absolutely. And let me, you just said intentional. So I have to give an example. Um, and it's another thing that I talk about quite a bit is intent versus impact, right? There's intent versus impact. So let me give an example. So Reed and I are in Northern Minnesota at a campfire drinking a beer, right? And if you've ever been to Northern Minnesota, you know that there's a thousand mosquitoes hovering above your head at any given minute. So we're sitting there. I look over and there's slaver. a mosquito on Reed's <laughs> leg, right? So of course what I do is I grab my sledgehammer next to me, raise it above my head and slam it on Reed's <laughs> leg. Now, of course, the first thing I'm going to say to Reed is, you know what? I'm so glad I killed that mosquito, aren't you? And uh -huh. how do you think Reed's response is going to be after having a sledgehammer to the knee? Um, I just shattered his entire leg. So what's more important yeah. at that point, my intent of killing the mosquito or the impact of the fact that I just hit him with a sledgehammer and shattered his leg. So uh -huh. we, we oftentimes think of, an, of the intent first, right? So when we say things like, oh, that's so gay. Oh, wait, wait, that wasn't my intent. And then we move mm -hmm. on, right? Like there should be a free pass because my intent, but think of it this way. When you look at the impact side, you're looking at the sledgehammer to the knee the sledgehammer to the face, right? Instead, you're saying, while that wasn't my intent, what can I do now to help you? And taking a different perspective on our language, on our laws, on our culture, on our society, 
while we may not have intended it to be this way or behind the scenes, right? We may not have intended it to have this outcome, but what's that impact? How are people actually impacted on a personal human level by this? So instead, of course, if I read, I would never want to shatter your leg. But if I did, the first thing I would say is, what can I do to get you help? And the same thing goes for conversations about equity, inclusion, diversity, is coming back and saying, crap, I just screwed up. What can I do? I am sorry. What can I do to be better? So we, you, you walked right into something, David, that's really important, and that's that intent versus impact. While intent does matter, right? That, that brings you to the frame of mind. The impact, we got to start looking at. What's the impact of saying this? Um, and what can I do to be better about that impact, whether it's on the books as a statute, whether it's a proposed statute, or whether it's just something that, you know, is said behind the scenes or a decision made in your company, right? What's the impact of that? And it's a tough adjustment to make, but it's so critical. So I, I, I think that I'm already, I'm excited by this conversation just because I feel like it, uh, I like the perspective that you take. I think a lot of folks sort of have felt, uh, the straight white folks, if you will, have felt like they're getting attacked as if like they've done everything wrong the whole time. And a lot of it we find with, uh, we were just talking about fair housing with you ahead of time, but a lot of the fair housing violations we find are, are from ignorance, not because it was on purpose or because to your point that it was the intent, but then there's the impact, but then that starts to scare the heck out of anybody, a business owner or someone in a, a, a place of authority because they're like, shoot, I don't even know what landmine I'm going to walk into, not meaning to, but has an impact. And then I'm going to get just rung over the coals for this. So I like your approach of like, sorry, I did not mean to do that. How can I help? So I'd like you to talk a little bit about what happens um, or how do you, how do you jive or, or, I don't know, but sometimes people misinterpret things. So if you're a marginalized class and it gets misinterpreted, if you will, or not misinterpreted, I don't even know. I know you said that words are important, but um, I'm just, I, I'm almost, I mean, I don't know enough about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial to really comment on it, but it seemed like there was almost like a backlash of like uh, between the two sides where it was like one was let's, you know, let's really go with the female here and this is terrible. She's a victim. But then once he gets his day in court, it's kind of seen the other way. So I'm not asking you to go exactly into that because I, I don't know enough on the whole subject. I, don't I think you get my point. Okay, good. My point being that like, um, well, it's the whole cancel culture. Like, do you think, is this a pendulum swinging where sometimes it can go too far and then pe some people take advantage, whether they mean to or not. And then how do we handle that? I'll say in the, in the business world or in positions of power. So I cancel culture is real, right? Like we see it all the time. I prefer more of a corrective culture, um, especially when the intent is there to be better or the intent is at least not to do harm. I, I see room for growth, right? I see room for hope. So I like corrective culture over cancel cult. It depends, right? <laughs> it depends. But generally speaking, I like corrective culture over because if someone's trying to do the right thing and they're trying to learn, then I feel like we can have a discussion. If someone's got a wall built up and they're like, nope, what I did was just fine because my intent was fine, then that's a little tougher. But if someone comes up and says, um, instead, like, shit, I, or, 
crap, I screwed up. Um, <laughs> what can I do? No, this is a family show, John. Everyone listens to it with their 11-year-old. No, <laughs> just kidding. No, my daughter uh, quickly called me out in like the third episode for, uh, it wasn't an F-bomb. I think I did say shit, but I was like, <laughs> honey, I'm at work. I'm allowed. She was still mortified. She can't wait to get into the workforce because she's going to be allowed to curse she thinks. So. <laughs> right, right. I'll watch Sorry. my leg. Broke your, I apologize. Yeah, um, you're all good. But... Um, if someone's willing to learn and do the work, then that's that's golden. That's where we meant to be, right? But the same thing is, and I call it space and grace. You got to have space and grace uh, for people doing this work. People are, I'm going to screw up, right? I teach this. I live this. I lead this. I'm going to screw up. And I've got to have space and grace for myself to like, okay, John, that wasn't quite the way to handle it. Learn from it and move on. Right. Same thing mm -hmm. now as someone in a marginalized community. If someone says something to me, instead of just throwing a rock at their face, say, you know what? That wasn't exactly the way I would have handled it. Here's how and why. Because if people understand the why, they might not do it again. Right. So um, I think space and grace is what we all need to have with one another. That doesn't mean to get away with murder in the business community and legal community, whatever. It's but having that acknowledgement and being able to say, I'm sorry, that wasn't my best foot forward. How can I be better? And that takes vulnerability. Yeah. yeah Reed and I talk a lot about uh, learning, uh, learning in, in public, if you will, like via this podcast. Uh, so last year I had, I forget his name, I should have looked it up, uh, but um, I had the fellow that runs One Colorado on, uh, and it was just me because Reed was on vacation, and I was, I told Reed, I was like flop sweating ahead of time. I was like, I've been reading all the books, I'm trying to stay up to date, but I was like, I am gonna probably screw up, and this is gonna suck, uh, but I'm told I made it out alive, uh, and then coming into this one, John, I just feel like you can, you can correct us here, uh, <laughs> you know, along the way, but I think the, uh, let me reframe, uh, reframe it, if I'm writing a book report for school, I um, I have to check multiple sources. I'm not allowed to use Wikipedia or like what my mom said. How should we be thinking about that here as we go through our everyday life? If there's somebody in a marginalized community that says, "Hey, I didn't, I, I did that didn't make me feel good," um, I do want to say I'm sorry. Did obviously wasn't the intention. How can I help? I like you, I like your tips there, but should I, should I now? I don't feel like I should take that source as fact, if you, and I'm not trying to give myself an out, but I want to be able to go and see like, okay, are they actually correct about this? Do you get what I'm saying? I'm trying to do this uh, yep. back to. How grace. do you, how do you locate objectivity within this realm versus um, living in a mostly subjective, you know, I've got two sphere. things here and I'm going to forget them um, because they're hot takes, but one is listening and second is do your own work. So don't let me forget. The first is listening. Okay. So this one's really hard. Part of being an, an ally, and actually not an ally, an ally plus, right? An ally is someone who says, thanks, you're here, I see you, the end. Ally plus is someone who stands shoulder to shoulder with people in marginalized communities and says, I see you and I'm here for you. So I prefer ally plus because that's what we need. We desperately, desperately need ally pluses. So listen, just here's, this one's hard, right? because we all listen and lawyers are the worst. We all listen with an argument about what we're going to say next, right? Instead, listen without judgment. And it's hard because it may not be our same experience. So someone who grew up, I grew up in a small town in Northern Minnesota, and I've got lots of great memories from that. And I've got a lot of really terrible memories from that. 
being a different kid in a small conservative town is really hard. Now, if someone from the dominant culture were to describe their childhood, we were in the same class, same teachers, may have a totally different view, right? But that doesn't mean my view is wrong or their view is wrong. It just means we have different lived experiences. So when someone tells you about their trauma, their marginalization, listen. It may not be an experience, but just listen and listen without judgment. The second thing is to get to your other point, because I'm not going to ever say someone's lived experience is wrong, right? So for mm -hmm. instance, um, I've got a lot of friends who want to be called queer. I don't prefer the term queer. I'm a gay man. And that's okay. Just ask, do you, what, what do you prefer to be called, gay or queer? And someone will tell you. Same with Black, African American. What do you prefer to be called? If you're in that space to have that conversation, just ask. But always preface it with like, a, can I ask you a sensitive question? If you're not in the place to answer it, that's okay. Uh, but I'm just trying to learn and figure out what's best for our communication, right? And if they're not in a place at that time, that's okay. Come back to it later or find a different source. The other thing is, um, and again, that's space and grace, having that space and grace to have that kind of a difficult conversation. The next thing is, is to do some personal work first on your own time, right? So that means reading up on a community. Like why is November 27th, 1978 a big deal for people in the LGBTQ community? And the answer is that's when Harvey Milk was assassinated. He was one of the first openly gay men to be elected and was a role model, right? Like that was in 1978, this was unheard of. And so to have that type of a role model shot and assassinated was a big deal. Um, same with, you know, August 25th, 1619. That's when the first slave ship, White Lion, landed on our shores, right? Do some work and do some history digging in, and it will be uncomfortable because you're going to hear things and learn things from all these different sources that are different than what you learn in eighth grade history or things that you just weren't taught. Again, it doesn't mean it's not accurate. It doesn't mean, it just means it wasn't taught when you were in your adolescence. There's so many resources out there on so many different communities that you can learn, right? You can understand because at the end of the day, David, what it is is someone's answering a question based on their lens, based on what factors, what diversity aspects or what parts of their personality and their identity they have next to them in the front seat right? What they have carrying with them in their wallet, right? The things that they have at their hand changes the way they're going to respond to you and give you their shared experience. I wouldn't ever say it's wrong. It just may be different, but doing your own work and listening will kind of make you a little bit more comfortable with the things that are coming at you. Yeah. Well, I dig it. I like this idea of, um, I mean, it's almost like utopian if everybody would uh, try to be like learning in public and then uh, also be willing to have the conversations about it, as you said, and they're open to it. Um, and then giving you the space to then go and pick up a resource to try to, you know, just get, get your own thoughts settled about you. Um, so anyways, that, that's super helpful. Well, uh, you mentioned, oh yeah, sure. Jump in here briefly. One of our biggest challenges, and this will directly or be a direct example of what you're talking about here, John, but um, meaning just not knowing, right? The, the education that's needed to improve. We, um, on June 18th, or is it 19th? Good Lord. 19th. 19th. Right. Um, that's right. Right. Juneteenth is June 19th. Yes. And it's observed yeah. this year on the right. 20th. Yep. 
Yeah. Oh, son of a gun. That's not going to help me, John. Yeah. that It's called Juneteenth for a reason. <laughs> it's like Thanksgiving. It, it, it changes dates. Yeah. Um, but we, uh, one of our clients in Minnesota, funny enough, uh, or not so funny, uh, almost tragically, uh, that we ran organic social for. So that just means, you know, we're updating their Facebook, their Instagram for their property page. Uh, we had put a post out uh, about Martini Day, happened to be on June 19th. And this was right after George Floyd's murder. And um, the the president of that management company immediately, you know, called us, emailed us and, and said, we have a huge problem here. So I'll cut through like how it un unraveled, I guess. And then, you know, we built things back uh, together or up together with them, but uh, we had no clue. I mean, if you were to poll 98%, probably maybe hundred percent of digital was not brought up, like did not know about June 19th in school. And so it well, and the client had approved all of the posts to go. Yeah, out that's as well. right. So it wasn't just like we missed it. The client missed it too. Yeah, but the client also missed. They it approved the post, and so it it just spoke to how critical education is. Mm -hmm. And what I'm gonna connect this to get your thoughts really quickly on this is once that happened, it was a great opportunity for us to learn, and we took it that way. So we talked with the whole staff about it, and we said, hey, you know, we'll we'll make mistakes. It's all about how we react and, and get better as a result from them. Um, so we put together kind of a small task force to uh, try to do that research you're talking about, and not just for African Americans, but, you know, for all discriminated, you know, classes, and now in this case, uh, marginalized. Um, and it is overwhelming, I'll say. Um, you know, it's like, where do you start? And where do you end? So it's like, if you really look into all the different races and religions and sexuality, it's like every day, there could be another June Juneteenth for Digipol or for a lot of employers. And so I'm just curious, as this becomes a bigger priority for employers, business owners, um, how you recommend going about that research. I know you said a lot of it needs to be individual, mm -hmm. like you need to do this on your own. Um, we know with discrimination and like drug policies and things they have not to, you know, in any way, uh, I guess, dismiss those, but th you know, those are like boxed, you know, videos and tutorials and things like this. This isn't as easy as that. And it's, it's much, I feel like broader than just, you know, how we handle a drug policy or sexual harassment. So um, how do we get more proactive, I'll say, as employers, business owners, in, in doing that research? You know, has, has enough traction been gained on this marginalization that there are now uh, workshops that are easier to introduce um, or very, I mean, I'm sure if I went to Google, I could find, but that's, my, that's part of the challenge is that's overwhelming. It's like if I just were to search marginalization and trying to figure out how to, to be a better listener, not judge, be more educated about all the different um, you know, things that may, may really upset somebody, be that sledgehammer, you can't boil the ocean so, you know, uh, overnight. So how, how would you approach it? What would be your, your, your tips to, uh, I'll, I guess I'll say to digital, but small business owners like us uh, to take a more proactive approach instead of waiting for the sledgehammer to hit and then talking about how we're going to get better. It's like any big project, right? Building a house. I live in a brick house. Um, if I were just to look at a big pile of bricks sitting in my yard that weren't put together, I'd feel overwhelmed too, right? I'd be like, what the hell am I going to do with this? Um, instead of just throwing your hands up, take it piece by piece, room by room. 
Um, you know, one way organizations have done this is looked at the heritage months, right? So you look at um, Black History Month, Women's History Month, Asian Pacific um, Islander um, History Month, Pride, um, Hispanic Heritage Month, Native American Heritage Month. You look at Transgender Day of Remembrance, Transgender Day of Visibility. You look at Juneteenth, MLK, right? There's all these different days and times that you can take to reflect on that community. Um, and so some organizations I've seen said, okay, we're going to reflect on these communities during these big heritage months or on these um, big days, like these big landmark days, um, and take it into, into pieces. Um, there's a lot of different exercises out there and a lot of different even organizations that will help companies and small businesses approach this, right? Brick by brick and building that, what I call inclusivity fabric together, brick by brick. Um, and it does take, you know, systemic work. For instance, when we talk about being anti-racist, one of the tools I really like is the 21 day anti-racist challenge. Uh, and that's a, a tool I've used with leaders and different people in different segments. It is a 21 day challenge you go through um, to, to learn more about anti-racism, what that means, what the history is in our country, Juneteenth, right? And why does that matter? And Reed, to be honest, I grew up in Minnesota. I didn't know what Juneteenth was until I moved to Texas. And in Texas, it was a big deal forever, right? Because it happened in Texas. It was a historic event that happened in Galveston, Texas. And so um, that was woven into the fabric of, of a lot of things in Texas. And I'm like, I remember my first year living in Texas in the summer, someone's like, hey, there's a Juneteenth picnic. And I'm like, cool, what's that? And then it was mm -hmm. explained to me and I went. And I'm like, wow, there's a whole lived experience I didn't know about. But I was mm -hmm. introduced to it in a more organic way. Yeah, there's there's a little bit more of a heat lamp on all of us right now to show up, right? To show up for people in marginalized communities, but you got to build it brick by brick. Um, instead of being intimidated, take it piece by piece. And the best thing you did, the best thing you did is realize we screwed up. Now, how do we be better? And having that space and grace for yourself to be better. And I love that because that means you're amenable to these changes. You're amenable to showing up for people in these marginalized communities. And that makes all the difference. Well, Reed, <clears throat> if you and I ever move back to Texas, we got to get some friends, some of John's old friends, because <laughs> John, you may not remember, but Reed and I did grow up in Texas and we did not know about Juneteenth. So I don't know if I should blame my eighth grade education or if I... <laughs> you were, you, you have less of an excuse than me. You were a way better student than I was. I didn't pay as close of attention. Oh, yeah, I wish I could get... <laughs> in particular, <laughs> sadly, in particular in history, which is ironic because now I can't get enough of it. Um, sometimes it just clicks for some people later in life, but... Um, but see, this yeah, is actually, this is a good example of why it's important to do your own homework because there are states out there and I don't want to call... Well, I will. I'll call Texas to the carpet, right? They are limiting what kids can learn because I don't know why. There's a lot of different reasons they could, but there are states that are limiting what kids can learn in terms of history, right? They're not going to learn about Juneteenth. They're not going to learn about the White Lion and 1619. They're not going to learn these things because leaders have chosen to say, no, you can't. We're going to stick with our curriculum that we've got, but we, you're going to learn Texas history. You're going to learn, you know, San Jacinto. You're going to learn the Alamo. You're going to learn all that, but you're not going to learn Juneteenth. 
And that's a disservice and that's marginalization, right? That's systemic marginalization. That's what that is. Mm-hmm. That's and building into our also, system. And it's also one of the, I guess, native, I'll say, disadvantages of public education. Because as long as you're you're being educated publicly, then you're subject to some sort of curriculum, right? And and that's unfortunate versus, you know, a more flexible, I don't want to call it custom, but a more open education. And the again, sad and not to make this like a a, a downer like thread here, but um, this gets into a much bigger problem, which is people people can't afford, I'll say that more uh, progressive forward, you know, open education. And so you're left with uh, whatever the curriculum is shaped to be, you know, by legislators, like within that given state. And as you said, in Texas, uh, it's not a good outcome right now, as far as what they're prevented from learning versus what they what they are spending time on. So I mean, not to take us off course, but it's just it's it's such a challenge. But I love what you're talking about brick by brick. It makes a, a ton of sense. And in many ways, I'm happy to say I feel like Digital has done that. We really spent a lot of time after that uh, situation um, two years ago, uh, working on our social calendar, making sure we as a company, not just on behalf of our clients, but that we were actively promoting content, you know, as you said, during uh, those history months and whatnot. And yeah, we're we're nowhere near where we need to be, but you know we're we're on the right path. Uh, but I think uh, it would also be great for us to take again that approach and a little bit more deliberate as far as that brick by brick and well, really concentrate on on those hair. Well, and, ones. yeah, well, I, and another challenge is so say you know um, Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month is May, so in November take a day away from Native American Heritage Month and do something related to AAPI, right? Same thing with in December, take a day and do something for pride, right? So you're, it's not just those months where you're actually paying attention, but as you build your bricks, um, say, you know what? Every six months, we're going to check in as well. We're going to um, do something else related to this, build it in. And then it, you'll see you'll, you'll be building your own curriculum throughout the year and building and then, Soon it will be every three months, right? Or every whatever, where you're just kind of learning and building again, brick by brick, shingle by shingle. You're just adding on and yeah. building without it being overwhelming right at the first. But you're doing well, the work. Think, you're uh, doing the work. I think you got to where I wanted to go is I think uh, as a company, we'd all love to be much further ahead. We don't, I wish we. I mean, Reed and I feel we think about this the same way where it's like we wish we had a score or something that was like Digible's got a 92% or whatever. There's not that, uh, as, at least as far as I'm aware, the, existing out there. But um, it's been, to your point, John, we've more tried to build it into our process. So we have Monday all-hands meetings, and in, in those Monday all-hands meetings, Reed calls out, like in our slide deck today, which was – I told Reed that he would have been criticized for wasting his time. But this weekend, this slide deck is like 30 slides long, John, every Monday. And he went through and and changed all the text for the headers to be pride colored uh, character by character. So he he fixed 30 slides to make the font pride. And then I saw that you got about 70% of the bullets colored. And there there are a couple that still remained white. But I was like, dude, this must have taken Reed all Sunday morning to get this thing done. Uh, But my point is that that we've tried to build it into the process where it's part of our weekly meeting at the the very last slide is a quote, usually relating to the group um, as it was today. It was actually the governor, a quote from the governor of Colorado relating to the group. And so that helps us back to like build it into our own system in a positive, you know, positive loop manner versus 
oh shoot, it's that time again that we need to check in. So what we did, another thing we did at our firm that I really like is we have these monthly lunches um, where people come in and we have lunch and we, we can be together. We started doing little table tents of fun facts. So like we did some um, women who upstate Colorado and they were just on the middle and people would pick them up and like, oh, Antonia Brico was the first woman to conduct, you know, the, the New York Philharmonic and she started the Denver Phil, right? Like all these different little, we did it with AAPI, right? With little facts of people and we make it local. Things that people wouldn't necessarily see because it brings this discussion and it brings this history and that lens, the creation of the lens um, in a fun way that people don't get what we call diversity fatigue, right? So a lot of people will get diversity fatigue. They're like, oh my God, you're hitting me over the head with this again. Um, of course, when I hear that, I have one response like, okay, now you kind of know what it's like to be part of a marginalized community because we get kind of hit <laughs> over the head every day. So I'm sorry, I'm not going to cry too hard for your diversity fatigue, but we all get it, even people in marginalized communities. So the, to the extent you can make it something that's approachable in a different way um, is always a good idea too. But just always keep building that house brick by brick without just throwing your hands up there going, we're never going to get it right. Plus, yeah. keep in mind, this is iterative. We're learning all the time. We're, uh, the more we listen, the more we engage in these communities, the more we're going to find we didn't quite get that right, but we're getting it right or we're learning, but it's an iterative process. It's not a static process. Yeah, well, uh, great, great point. And I love that idea. We do every other week a lunch. So I don't know, add that to Carrie's list of things. She's got to get a like a catalog of fun facts to start putting uh, with the, I was going to say the Qdoba order. The Qdoba order does really well for me. The Panera order. Um, you know, not my favorite day. So um, I might I'm miss right the there with you on yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, John, you wanted to talk a little bit about Ally Plus, or you mentioned Ally Plus. Um, so could you just talk us through how can leaders and organizations be not just allies, but Ally Plus? So we've, we've touched on them, but if you, if you can humor me a little bit, let me just kind of go back through some of them. Um, but the first one is do personal work first. Um, there's a whole, I mean, if you, if you have an iPad and an, and an Apple account, you can have a thousand books at your disposal. Same with the Kindle, right? Do some personal work first. You know, read Cast, the book Cast. It's amazing. Read that, right? Like, so start the 1619 Project. Read it. You'll learn some history um, that's, again, evolving and, and really something that gives you a different lens. So do that work. Understand and give yourself space and grace that at times this is going to be uncomfortable because it's not your lived experience and that's okay. The second thing is listen. Um, again, listen without judgment, listen without the retort in your head, but the yeah, but the yeah, but um, you're hearing someone's own experience, right? And as you listen, if you can find some common affinity, some common ground to talk about, then bring that in. Um, of course, it, don't compare apples to apples, um, right? There's, there's trauma, then there's trauma. And so saying, oh yeah, that's just the same for me, it might not be, that's, that's minimizing for all of us, right? Whenever we tell a story. So listening is really, is big. The key on that also is, and I, I can't stress this enough, not everything is political. Not everything is political, right? Some things are just human. This is a human experience. Me sharing my experience isn't political. It's just who I am. 
that's how I grew up. That's my experiences I've had. Um, not everything is political. So I think that's really a big deal. And if someone tells you, this is who I am, believe them. That even goes like for pronouns. Um, you know, my pronouns are he, his. Or someone says my pronouns are they, them. Instead of arguing back, it's just what it is. They're telling you who they are. And my big example on that one is my sister got married 30 years ago. And I don't call her Olafson anymore. Her last name is Thompson. And I never go to my sister and say, oh, that's so hard. How am I ever going to remember that? Or, oh, right. I don't agonize over that. She asked us to use a different name for her. And we did. And I never, ever go to my sister and go, well, you know, Jill, that's not the name on your birth certificate. You, you can't do that. We know she can, right? So if someone tells you, just listen. Um, and that could be sometimes challenging. The other next thing, the third thing to be an ally is act up or speak up. So if you see something that's happening, if you see something going on, act up. Every one of us has a superpower at any given time, right? We all have that superpower to deflect, to, to, to bring some attention to it, to protect someone, to say something. We all can act up or speak up at any given time. Use it. Um, and that's hard because that takes courage. And then the fourth thing is show up. Show up for these communities, right? So the Pride Parade is coming in two weeks. Show up. Be visible. Not just say, I'm there for you, pat on the back, but be there shoulder to shoulder saying, I see your struggle or I see where you are uh, and I'm going to be there. And then the final big one is space and grace. You got to give each other space and grace. We're all growing. We're learning. We're to the intent factor, we've got the intent to do it right. Um, instead of just cancel someone for their intent to do something well, correct. And the same thing for yourself. Give yourself space and grace. Um, let's grow on this together. Let's learn on this together. Um, and when I see someone who wants to be my ally and who's doing the work, I'm not going to exclude them from the conversation because they screwed up once. I'm going to help them. I'm going to help make them an ally for me because there's going to be a time when I'm going to need you to act up or speak up for me. And I'm not going to have that if I just alienate you from the conversation. Um, so give each other space and grace in this um, to build allyship, to build that common affinity. So those are my big tips really wow. quick on how to be an ally plus in a nutshell. That's terrific. Uh, make me feel like crap because I, uh, my best man, um, he grew up underneath uh, Jeremy was his name. That's how I know him. But when he went off to college, he changed it for everybody else to Logan. And I have asked him, I feel like a dozen times, Hey, do you care that I'm just like, I keep calling you Jeremy. And he's like, uh, no, I don't, I don't mind. But I didn't know that. God. Yeah. But everybody else, including his wife, has only, have only known him as, as Logan. And, uh, oh my God. Nicole gets so confused. Uh, I don't know if you got the update, John, but Nicole and I are hitched. And so I saw that. she's like, now, how do I know this guy? Is it Jeremy or Logan? And I, and I, I swear it's like once a year I ask him and he's like, no problemo, but it still makes it feel like I need to just like move to Logan versus uh, Jeremy. So I think that's a, probably a good idea. Cause if someone tells you who they are, just that's who they are. Yeah. The other thing on that though, uh, on that though, David, to be honest is if you screw up, don't make a big deal out of it. Right. Same with pronouns, because then you're putting that person in the position to feel badly for you. 
Um, because that's what we do when someone is like, oh God, I really screwed up. Blah. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Right. Oh, you're fine. Don't put them in a position to have to feel bad for you. Instead, just say, I'm sorry, Logan. I'm sorry, they. Yeah. And then move on with your conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Uh, also, how does this settle that you've, you, I feel like, uh, John, you're the, uh, HR person that we don't have. Uh, <laughs> I, I take huge exception to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Reads... HR falls under my many hats. John. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, so obviously there's been a lot of like blowback on uh, appropriation, right? Like a, a cultural appropriation. So can you just talk us through the sensitivity there? Cause I like this point about show up uh, as one of the things, but I did ask Nicole, I was like, man, I feel like pride has done a great job of getting the message out there, but is there any risk? Like she was taking a Peloton class where two of the folks in the class are openly gay and one is not. And I was like, is there any risk for that person that's not gay be being dressed up in pride, like, and now getting told that it's appropriation. And I feel like pride was, is more of a, a marketing angle to help get the message out, which is great. But we've all seen that with other, with other I'll say cultures where folks are like, well, you just lifted that from the black culture. So I don't know. I know we didn't prep you for this. I'm just wondering, can you help you know, marry that up for me? That is a whole other podcast when it comes to appropriation. <laughs> and as a white person, we have done a really good job at appropriation um, for centuries and centuries and centuries. Um, that's unacceptable. Um, that's a big question. But there's a difference between appropriation and allyship. So it depends on which way you're coming at this from and how you're using it. So if you're coming to this to show up, to stand by my side, that's allyship. If you're doing it to benefit yourself in a different way without saying, I'm with you, I'm with you, then that's more of a, an appropriation, right? It depends. So the other thing is like when it comes to pride, pride is, and it has become, it feels like it's become a marketing tool, but it's not, right? There's so many, my partner just told me about a new documentary about Stonewall that's on Netflix that I've got to check out. But th this comes from a struggle, right? This comes from LGBTQ and transgender people being attacked in the streets of New York, right? That's what it was. It comes from a woman of color um, throwing a brick, right? There's a whole history there that's just incredibly powerful. It comes from marches, right, in the streets. And Denver was one of the big cities with marches in the streets after Stonewall. In fact, History Colorado right now has an exhibit up on LGBTQ history in Colorado. Um, and it, the, the, the exhibit walks you through those first prides, which were marches in the street, to show solidarity, to show we are together, um, and we are part of this community, see us and hear us. Right. So there's a, a lot of power there. And what we're doing is looking for allies. So I don't also want to like there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, Coca-Cola changed their logo to a rainbow. That's just performative. I want to watch out on that, too, because as a gay kid growing up in, in rural Minnesota, I would have killed to have seen that in the 80s and 90s because I would have felt less alone. And there's nothing more lonely than being a gay kid in a town of 4,000 people, right? That's so lonely. I would have killed for that. But that also means that they have to show up as well. Like there's that next level. Don't take away that base level just because of the work up here that needs to be done. 
But if you wear a pride shirt, uh, David, and you show up to the pride parade, I would be honored to have you march next to me. That's not appropriation. That's you saying, I'm showing up for you. I am standing next to you in really hard moments. Um, and of course, taking that the next steps, of course, and showing up when the, the moments get tough, right? You got to put, mm-hmm. put your action where that is. But that's not appropriation. Showing up and being part of the community isn't necessarily appropriation. Um, but we could get that's a whole different thing to unpack. Um, but that's not allyship. If you are coming next to me and being standing by my side and having my back, that's not going to be seen as appropriation. That's going to be seen as you being an ally. Got it. Well, that's that's super helpful and definitely another a topic for another day. I know, uh, John, you didn't you didn't give this accolade to yourself, but you were what was it the LGBT Bar Association's Attorney of the Year. So if you can snag that title again, we'll let you come back on and talk about <laughs> you know appropriation. So no uh, pressure there. Got your work cut out for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I have one other thing. You mentioned vocab, so I know that we're getting really close to time here. But um, what vocab, I don't know, should us and our listeners be aware of that's you know really important? And maybe it's like more simple things because I like how you have like the five step plan and all this stuff. Like the, you have like very simple, actionable things to put into practice versus you know a lot of other folks that just almost confuse me more because there's nothing that like I'm action that takes going to quickly with. tag on here and see if this tees you up even better john but pronouns has been such a a big topic i feel like over the last few years and excited to see again uh try not to call it a trend but uh, a movement i think is is a much more positive way of putting it uh to help drive awareness um and a lot of it seems to also connect uh, where we start with marginalization but why don't you give us kind of the overview on pronouns and then um, is there additional vocabulary that you're seeing in this movement as far as language that would be good to share with our listeners? That's another one we could we could devote a whole session to and a lot of people do because language matters, right? And there's there's not disagreements, but there's different schools of thought on, on what that is. Pronouns. You two have a superpower here. By putting pronouns in your name, by saying my pronouns are he, him, um, you're giving, you're opening the door for people in a marginalized community to say, you know what, my pronouns are this as well. You're, you're making that something that's just normal, right? That it's okay to have pronouns and say what they are. Um, pronouns means that's how someone sees themselves. And you're, all you're doing when someone says, these are my pronouns, is respecting someone for who they are and how they see themselves, how they identify, what pieces of their identity are important to them. That's all you're doing. It's very simple. Like I said, I use the example of women who changed their name, like my sister, she did. I never went to her and said, no, that's not your last name. Or I don't think that's correct. Or that wasn't on your birth certificate. I just accepted it. And so did everybody else. Uh, I didn't make a big deal out of it. I, none of that. That's the same thing with pronouns. If someone comes to you and says, my pronouns are they, them, then the, their pronouns are they, them, right? It's just a matter of making that something that people feel open and comfortable expressing. When it comes to people who are non-binary, what they're doing is saying, I don't fit neatly into one of these boxes. Um, that's not how I identify. That's not my identity. And so you're just respecting someone saying, here is who I am. Um, and let me tell you, that takes a lot of bravery. That takes a lot, a lot of guts 
and a lot of vulnerability and a lot of bravery to come out and say, here's my identity. And I'm asking you to uh, respect that. And we all want that. We all just want to be seen for who we are. We just want to be seen for what we are. Um, we just want people to acknowledge who we are. And let me tell you, when that something as simple as that is is accepted, when I was able to come out in a workplace and be accepted, it lifts a thousand pounds off your shoulders, right? Because you're like, oh, they see me. I don't have to wear a costume. I don't have to wear this mask. I don't have to wear, I don't have to pretend, I don't have to act all day long. I can just be who I am. And that just takes a thousand pounds off your shoulders. Um, and for the people who talk about grammar, like, oh, they is plural and it is the singular. Um, to them, I say a couple things. One, grammar in the English language is flexible. If you were to look at an English textbook from 100 years ago, it would be totally different, right? We have changed and adapted as a language, number one. Number two, what's more important, a grammatical rule or a person? At the end of the day, what's more important to you? The person sitting next to you, the human in front of you, or a rule in a book that you studied when you were in ninth grade? Apologies to my dad, who was an English teacher um, for 40 years. Um, but even he agrees with me on this one, right? Even the retired English teacher says, agreed. There's literally no debate in my mind about this. And so it's just a matter of practicing. So I, I, so you don't do that. Oh, this is hard. You know, what do I do? Um, woe is me. This is a problem about me. No, it's not. Right. Practice it. Say it three times in your head. Right. Or in a conversation, use it three times. Right. All those tricks we learn about, you know, learning names. Um, but when you do that, when you say, if someone comes to you and says, these are my pronouns, they're giving you a part of themselves, a part of their identity. And so the best thing we can do is just respect it because that's what we would want in return. Awesome. I love the, the, the what's more important, the person or the grammar. Um, and so I'll make a slight joke, but read, don't correct my emails anymore. When I make that type <laughs> well, of. with that said, some grammar is important. And I'm talking to associates oh, who write briefs. Um, <laughs> but even there, I have no problem putting someone's pronoun in a brief or a contract. In fact, the contracts I draft now are gender neutral. Years ago, mm. I took out using gender terms. You don't need to use it. Yeah. That's Makes great. Sense. Well, as we wrap up, Reed, any last things? No, I don't think so. Just uh, grateful that we've stayed in touch and... Uh, threw down some serious knowledge today and I very much would love to have some follow-ups and you know you're a busy guy obviously talking to a lot of different pla uh, people and places um, on boards but I I would love for you to come in someday to Digibol and get a chance to see our employees and and share some of uh, you know these insights I, I know that everybody would would really uh, benefit from it John I so would love that so and I will tell on. you you're you're walking the walk in the things you're doing and the, and the way you're doing things, you're walking the walk, which means a lot. And that's one of the reasons also why I'm here um, is because you are exhibiting um, allyship behavior in what you do. And you can see that even from your platforms, your social media, and that means a lot to me. So <laughs> thank you. Uh, John, you well, for those watching the video, our lights just turned off because uh, it's motion censored <laughs> and we've, been, we've kept John too long. I'm trying to walk around and get the freaking 
There we go. Hey, the we're soundboard back. looked like Holy a Christmas tree. Yeah, very colorful, red and green. So I guess that's the that's the limit. But John, thank you. If somebody wants to get in touch, I know you're super active on LinkedIn. But what's the best way? Sure, you can email me anytime. Um, I'm at John J O N dot Olafson O L A F S O N at Lewis Brisboy B R I S B O I S dot com. Uh, you can find me there. I'm like you said, I'm active on LinkedIn. Uh, I would I, I would love these conversations. Of course, I'm not the the preeminent authority on all things inclusivity. There's different viewpoints out there, and of course, don't speak for all communities. But hopefully, this gives you some tips and tricks to at least approach the situation um, and to get a start right and take it to the next level. Yeah, if you need a good attorney. You can also hit John. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, John. And we'll put the, that, that information in the show notes if someone needs to get to it. But yeah, just thank you so much for the time. And we look forward to the Thank next you one. for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you.